All right. Good evening, everyone. How we doing? Cool. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and grab that right now. It can be on your phone, a hardback copy of the Bible. Um, hey, before I jump into Romans 12, let me take a minute to talk about what everyone's talking about, all right? Um, so here's what we all know. Uh, it was a week ago tomorrow, right? Uh, we, we woke up, and as we were starting our days, um, Supreme Court comes out with a ruling on Roe versus Wade. And, and, and I don't have to tell you that because that's been your whole week, right? Like, like seeing people talk about it and seeing people make statements and seeing people uh, just make uh, whatever reaction they have against that. And, and I got to tell you something. As a pastor, the pressure is on me right now. In moments like this in our culture, the pressure is on me. Pastor, you need to make a statement. Pastor, you need to take a stand. Pastor, you need to win the argument. Pastor, you need to stand up and say something. And here's what I want you to know. The pressure is on me to make a statement or to take a stand. But I want you to know that the Lord Jesus gave me a different mandate. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he has given you a different mandate. See, Jesus did not command his first disciples to make statements. He gave them the command to make disciples. That's your job. And that's my job in this moment. So my job isn't to get up here and make some stand. And so if you're just kind of on this extreme end that wants me to rage against something, I'm going to disappoint you tonight. Because my job is to make disciples. And when Jesus said make disciples, he said baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all I have commanded you. So my job in making disciples isn't to get up here and comment on everything that's going on. Like our job is not to be some Christian version of the news where we come give you our spin on things. Our job is to inform you of what Jesus had to say and to teach you, not tell you, but teach you how to follow after Jesus step by step. That's what we do here. So I am going to do that and I'm going to comment. I'm not going to avoid this. But I want you to know the purpose here isn't to win. This isn't to win an argument or make a statement or make us feel like we're rallied around something. My goal is to teach you how to follow Jesus, how to live like Jesus, how to love like Jesus, how to think like Jesus, and how to value what Jesus valued. So let me put it this way to you tonight. My job is to teach you the commands of Jesus. And what's abundantly clear to me from the commands of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the teaching of the scripture and the whole counsel of it as a whole is that God values life from conception to death. He values it. And so we, as followers of Jesus, should be the people who value life along with our God. And we can celebrate when the laws of our land align with that. We can celebrate when the laws of our land come into line with that value. And yet I want to be really clear. Like, that's not the fight. The fight isn't over. It's not even, that, that, that's not even like an inch of it. Because our call is not just to care for life in the womb. It's to call, care for life, period. And so we are going to do that as a church. And it's not just like we suddenly thought of that. I, I want you to know if you're the person who's going, well, do Christians even care about life outside of the womb? I would invite you to be part of any of the dozens of ministries here that do exactly that. Of people who give generously and give of their time to care for mothers and children and orphan and foster kids and kids all over the world who everyone else has forgotten about. I, I would invite you to lean in with those ministries. So here's what we're passionate about here. We're passionate about making disciples. We're passionate about being caring about the things God cares about. And so while we're going to treasure life from conception to death, we're also going to be a people who step in and care for people every single season and every single moment of their life. Every time I talk about this, I just want to say this clearly too. Like I'm not, just not, like, I'm not ignorant enough. I'm not small-minded enough to think that abortion has not personally touched someone in this room. And here's what I want to say to you, if that's part of your story. The God of the universe created you. And the God of the universe loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He is on your side. And he welcomes you into his family. And our church says, welcome home. 
We want you to know that love. We want you to know that grace. We don't want this to be a barrier between you and God. Jesus broke barriers to come into this world that you might be redeemed and reconciled to him. And so again, in this room tonight, our goal is not to like rage and make statements. It's to gather around Jesus and what he cared about and say, this is what we're about. So that's who we are. That's what we're about. I know for some of you, you're just right on board with that. You've been a part of our church. Uh, For some of you, um, you just feel so strongly one direction or the other. And here's what I want to say in closing, and then we're going to pray over this whole scenario going on in our country right now. Um, If you are the person who is just kind of raging right now, um, I want to point you back to an incredible verse in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Pastor Brian Williams and I were talking about this right before the service, uh, and he pointed out that 1 Corinthians 13 is that really famous verse that says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking. And then get this, love is not rude. It is not rude. And so if your impulse since last Friday has been to post or say or shout out things that are rude and condescending and mean and harsh and belittling and cruel toward people who disagree with you, you might be doing something. It's just not love because love is not rude. Love refuses to be rude. And so if that's you and you feel so strongly and you just want to post online and dunk on your enemies and destroy everyone who disagrees with you, you may think you're acting out of love, but according to the authority of scripture, you are not. And so I want to invite all of us to be a people who are not rude. There may be disagreement in this room. There may be people who see this a little different. There may be people who say, biblically, I agree, but politically, you have all sorts of concerns. We can get into all of that. But here's what I want to invite you toward. I want to invite you to love one another. And at the very least, love is not rude. And if all of us have just been honest when we look around social media this week, we've not seen a lot of love. Even from people who proclaim that they are posting out of love, they have not been posting out of the biblical kind of love. And so let's be people who commit to that. Love is not rude. If you want to come up and talk about this, if you want to come up and process this with me more, I would love to. I welcome that. I know Pastor Sarah does. Pastor Brian does. Any of us do. We want to be a part of that journey with you. But again, let's commit to being a people who are filled with kindness, filled with love and compassion, and filled with a clarity on who God is and what he says. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Can I pray? Uh, And then we'll jump into our message tonight. Father in heaven, um, I want to stop and I want to pray. I want to pray for our nation. And whatever else is going on, whatever else is decided, I pray that love would permeate our land. Uh, I pray that there would be a compassion and a kindness and a goodness and a charity that overwhelms all of us. God, I pray against this harsh, divisive, angry, bitter spirit that just seems to exist everywhere, and maybe especially in our generation. God, may it not be so of us. May we be lights shining in the darkness, holding out the word of light to to a dark world that has just completely lost their way. So, Father in heaven, we pray uh, that we would be light in the midst of the darkness. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, again, if you have your Bible, we're going to be Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. And if you were not here last week or you're just joining us or or you're kind of catching up or maybe you've just um, been around but not paying attention, uh, we have been talking through over the last couple weeks the impact that technology and really specifically like this device has on your faith. And if you're the kind of person who thinks, well, this device has no impact on my faith, I invite you to go listen to the podcast for the last couple of weeks and to show up for the next couple of weeks of this sermon. Because here's what we've been talking about, and here's the key point we got to last week, that you will bring glory to what you pay attention to. And so if you pay attention to your body all the time, you will glorify your body. If you pay attention to your money, you will glorify your money. And if you pay attention to this device constantly, all day, every day, you will bring glory to it. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. 
Last week, if you were here, I was really uh, trying to get your head around the idea that when I pay attention to something, my affection goes toward it, my glory goes toward it, and we just kind of had to have a gut check of whether or not Jesus or, or this phone was winning. And then tonight, what I want to do, as I promised last week, is get a little more practical on what that means and looks like uh, and how we live out this life where we bring glory and affection to our God rather than our iPhones. Uh, And so this is how it begins. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it goes this way. It says, therefore, Paul is writing, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So, so Romans chapter 1 through 11 is like this epic explanation of how good God has been to us. It's this epic explanation of the gospel. Romans is by all means like one of the most beautiful and wonderful books of literature ever written. And for 11 chapters, Paul is just banging this drum of how merciful God has been. And I just want to say that to anyone in the room who has somehow convinced themselves that God is this angry, bitter man in the sky who's upset with you all the time. That is not the view of the Bible. That is not my God. My God is merciful. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, here's how Paul describes the mercy of God. He says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace and the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of, of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is the mercy of Christ is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning if you're in this room, you are a sinner. Congratulations, you've been outed. Like there's no secrets, there's no hiding, there's no you like pretending you've got it all together. One of the most beautiful parts of Romans chapter three, verse 23, is it just outs us so we can stop this little game we play where we have everything together. You don't. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet the beautiful thing about the gospel is it recognizes the depth of your problem, but then it gives you the answer. We're justified freely through his grace, through the redemption of Christ Jesus. He was the sacrifice. He's the reason we can be made right with God. So when Paul says, in view of God's mercy, what he's talking about is this gospel, that there is a bad news in the world, and that bad news is this, that you're a sinner who deserves judgment, death, and hell. And yet Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. Like, that's the whole point of why Jesus came. So this is the good news, bad news thing that Paul does. And yet he's going to tell you something really interesting here in Romans 12. He's going to tell you this, that we are supposed to keep God's mercy in view. Like in other words, here's what I think Paul understands. Paul understands that it's actually really easy to get murky on what God's mercy is. It's really easy to kind of have your view obstructed when it comes to God's mercy. Well, like I was putting it this way. Um, so it was earlier this week, I was hanging out with my daughter. We were doing breakfast um, and I was cooking breakfast for her. And, and um, you know how I told you like, oh, I'm not supposed to use my phone when I'm doing breakfast. Like I failed this week. Okay. I want you to know, like I fell down on the job. I had my phone in my pocket and my daughter sees my phone and goes, daddy, daddy, can I take a picture? And I was like, okay, I never, this never goes well. Cause she's four and she doesn't really know how to handle the phone, but I decide, okay, let's do it. So I swipe open the camera. I hand her the phone and this is the gem she comes up with. <laughs> right? <laughs> And she's looking through the thing and she's like, dad, dad, like she can't see me properly. And why? It's because she doesn't know that the camera's there and you're not supposed to put your finger in front of it unless you're one of those artsy people. You're like, oh, I'm very cool, right? But like, but like, I'm like, oh, sorry, I just insulted some of you. All right, but, but, but this is what she does. Like she's looking at me and her view is obstructed. And this is what I think happens to us. Like we fail to see the father clearly because our view is obstructed. And do you know that there are things in this world and things in our culture and things in your life that will obstruct your view of the Father? And if you are not careful, it will obstruct your view of God's mercy. 
Like, let me talk to you about a few of those things that will obstruct your view. See if any of these things resonate with you. Number one, the gospel of politics. You want to know the bad news? Washington's broken, but here's the gospel of politics. This politician gets elected, it'll all get fixed. You ever heard that one? You ever bought into that one? Oh, this person's going to change everything. This person's going to make it better. This person's going to make it all good. It's all bad, but if this one person gets elected, everything changes. You ever heard the gospel of possessions? You have problems, but this new product will solve them. If you're like, I've never seen that. You've never watched a commercial. Like that's all commercials ever. They're like, are you suffering? You're like, yes, I am. Just buy this and it'll all go away. You're like, ah, cool. All right, let's get a little more intense. Gospel of sex. Traditional sexual morality has bound you, but our new morality will free you. That old time religion, that old thing your parents said, that's just repressing you and keeping you unhappy. But if you just give into this sexual libertinism that says, go for it with whoever and whenever and however, it'll bless you and free you. See, that's the good news of sex. Try this one, the gospel of war. Your enemy's scary, but our weapon, our weapons can destroy them. The enemy's out there scary, but do you see that jet? Do you see that missile we have? Do you see that thing you have? Have you ever just felt comfortable as an American because our military's strong? You've put your faith in that. And you've been obstructed by the gospel of the military. I'm not ripping on the military. If you've served, I'm so grateful for that. But if you've served, I hope you've recognized that your hope, your safety, your security in this world is never in a gun or a missile or a tank. It's in the Lord God Almighty. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the Lord God Almighty. And so again, what can happen is we can just kind of go like, okay, the reason we're safe in this world is because we've got really strong armaments. Well, try the gospel of wealth. You're unhappy, but more money will change all of that. Like you're unhappy, but if you just made 60 a year or 90 a year, oh, 100 a year. But if you just made 150, if you just invested in Bitcoin 10 years ago, sort of, you know, like, like if you just did that, right? Like, like if you just had more money, you would be happy. See, here's what happens. Our view of God's mercy gets obstructed by all these false gospels, by all these false things that claim if you just trust in this, everything will be better in your life. Can I give you a gospel you probably haven't thought of before, but it's right on point for tonight? Here's the gospel of the smartphone. You have problems, but this device will solve them all. You have problems, but if you just use the power of this device, the power of this technology, you won't have problems anymore. And you know what's strange and seductive about that? This device does solve problems, right? I told you last week, I turned off my phone and I had to do basic division, and I didn't know how. I would never get anywhere without the maps function here. Like, there's not like a world where I would pack maps with me anymore. So like, yes, this solves problems. But here's what you need to be careful about. If you're not careful, something that is good in your life can become ultimate in your life. And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it ultimately becomes a bad thing. That's what happens. Like, like I want you to hear this. Steve Jobs, the, the inventor of the iPhone. Again, this is a brilliant, amazing person. Here's what he said about the iPhone. He said, every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along and it changes everything. Like it changes everything. The iPhone, the smartphone comes along and suddenly everything's different. And again, if you've somehow come into the conclusion that your iPhone has zero effect on your spiritual life, I just don't think you're very self-aware. Like your iPhone, it is affecting you. It's impacting you. It's changing how you think and how you process. Watch this other quote Steve Jobs says. He says this, the iPhone was not just a communication tool, but a way of life. Like, like the, the people who invented these devices didn't think like, here's a device that will help make your life better. They thought, here's a device that will make us a lot of money and it will become your entire identity. And for some of us, it has. 
For some of you, like the iPhone or the phone you have or the thing you have in your pocket is not just a tool you use. It is an identity you cling onto. It's the thing you turn to over and over and over again when things are hard or where things are difficult or you're anxious or afraid. Like I showed this last week and I just, I'm tempted to show this slide like every single week for the rest of my life. Corey Asbury says this, I want to reach for God the way I reach for my phone. When I'm bored and uncomfortable, when I need answers or entertainment, when I'm lonely and need someone to talk to, help me, God. So yeah, just dream on that. Okay, okay. the iPhone is like this wonderful, beautiful thing. And yet in some strange way, like we turn to it in the way we should turn to God. And here's what I want you to know tonight that whoever or whatever you turn to in your time of trouble is your savior. That's your savior. And so, like, like, again, I just, there's so, like, I'm not talking about, like, the big moments in your life. Everyone loves to dramatize this. Like, okay, in the moment where I'm, like, about to die, who do I turn to? That might actually be the easy moment for you to turn to God. I'm talking about the moment after the service tonight when you're hanging around with a few people, but then things get a little uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, what do you turn to? You turn to your phone, right? Because that's the thing that can kind of entertain you and make you look busy and not make you look awkward. Rather than just leaving your phone in your pocket, standing there in silence and being in the moment. What do you turn to in that moment? When you're stressed out, when you're bored, when you have a tough moment with your parents and you're leaving, do you just dive into this to numb your brain? Because if you do, this is very quickly becoming your savior. See, again, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, and his big burden, I think, is that you wouldn't let anything in your life and might I say this to you, even your iPhone, block the view of God's mercy in your life. Because there's a God who says, I want to be with you in your toughest moments, in your most anxious moments, in your moments where you're not sure what to do, when you're not sure how you feel. God just wants to be with you in that moment. But you're not going to be aware of his presence if your face is stuck in this thing. And again, I'm speaking to you. I know this is me. Like I know there's just moments where I'm kind of anxious or insecure or afraid or not sure what to do. And I just dive into this because this is easier than dealing with what's going on in here. And yet I just don't want that to be said of me. I want to turn to my Jesus. It goes on this way in the back half of verse one. It says to offer your bodies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, this is a really scandalous phrase that he uses here. Paul is going to tell these Roman believers, he's going to say that he wants them to offer their bodies. Now, in the ancient Roman world, this is kind of a strange thing to enter into a spiritual conversation because in the ancient Roman world, they bought into this philosophy called dualism. And here's dualism. You've got the body, like the physical world, and then you've got the spirit, like the spiritual world. And God or the gods, they care about the spiritual world. And the physical world, it's pretty irrelevant, the physical world doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what happens with your body or happens in or around your body. What really matters is your spirit. And I would love to pretend that that philosophy died in the ancient world. But strangely enough, I tend to find that in the church. And so I get up here and talk about the iPhone. And some of you are going, that's in the physical bucket, not the spiritual bucket. And so you think I've departed from the scriptures. Well, like for some of you, I talk about this. I talk about what's going on with this. And you think there's a physical bucket and a spiritual bucket. And all we should talk about at church is the spiritual bucket. But here's what Paul says. He doesn't want you to offer your spirits, your minds. He's going to talk about all that. But here he says, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is temple language, holy and pleasing to God. You want to know what worship is? Worship is giving God all of your life, not just parts of it. Worship is saying, God, all of it is yours. You own everything, every little bit of me. This has been said before, I'll say it again, that Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Like he is either Lord of every part of your life or he's not really Lord. He's Lord of everything. 
of your mind and your body and your money and your career. Like he's, mind of, he's Lord of your iPhone. He's Lord of the ketchup bottle in your fridge right now. And if that sounds silly and ridiculous to you, it's because you don't get that God owns everything. The psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Like literally everything's his. He owns it. He made it. He could take it from you. He could give you 10 times as much. Everything belongs to God. And when I recognize that everything in my life belongs to God, I stop thinking that there are certain things God doesn't want to claim ownership over. When I recognize that everything belongs to God, I stop putting things in the spiritual and not spiritual bucket. I just say, God, anything in my life that distracts me from you, we need to talk about. We need to do business about. Because here's what I'm convinced of. Most of us as Christians, we think, we think that the big moments in life, we, we think that the shocking moments in life are the things that really shape our faith. The big church, we, or church service we went to or the camp you went to as a kid or the mission trip you went on or that spiritual high you experienced. And I don't want to knock those things because I think those things can be catalysts in your life. But here's what I want to submit to you tonight, that it's small decisions made in ordinary moments that shape your faith more than big decisions made in extraordinary moments. See, I'm convinced that for some of you, you think spirituality only happens when it's this big emotional spiritual moment. But I'm convinced spiritual maturity and spiritual life happens when you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off and you have a choice. Am I gonna scroll through Instagram for 25 minutes or am I gonna get up and spend time with the Lord? That's where it happens. This little irrelevant moment. I'm convinced spiritual maturity happens after the church service tonight when you're standing alone and feeling a little anxious and instead of going to your phone because that's where you always go, you just stand and be in the moment and be open to what God has for you. See, it's the little moments, the small things. It's these small little things that shape your life because those are the things you do over and over and over again. And when Paul says, offer your bodies, what he's trying to say is don't be the type of person who just offers your spirit to God, this emotional, intangible part of you, because God owns all of it, every piece of you, including this device. And if God owns it, he gets to define it and he gets to tell you how to use it. It goes on this way in verse two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul has this burden, and this burden is that you would not be conformed to the patterns of this world, that there's a certain way this world operates, but that you would not be just like this. Let me tell you the truth. When it comes to our phones, I think this is one of the most important verses in the entire scriptures. I think we must refuse to conform to the patterns of this world. What are the patterns of this world? The patterns of this world are the things everyone considers normal. The patterns of this world are the things that everyone considers normal, average, ordinary, non-extraordinary. The patterns of this world is that a human being can spend four to five hours per day, every day of their life in perpetuity on this device, and that's not weird. That the pattern of this world is that we are all sitting at lunch and we are having a conversation, but our phones are on the table because just in case I'm talking to you, but someone else more interesting calls or texts, I would like to make sure I'm aware of that. That's normal in our world. It's normal in our world that every single place you go, you feel the need to take a picture. Like that's normal in our world. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's normal. And it's like, that isn't actually human history. You're like going and looking at some wild, beautiful thing. You're like, how can I make sure the lighting's proper? I'm like, the lighting's there. And, and here's what we need. We, we need to have a certain kind of skepticism about what's normal in the world. Like, I'm just actually calling you to have skepticism. In fact, I've said this before. If the world says this is normal, we should be careful. We should be careful. Now, careful doesn't mean we reject everything of the world. 
Like, I want you to know, like, the world has shoes. I'm going to keep wearing shoes, okay? I'm not going to be that Christian who's like, I reject shoes. You know, like, the, the world does electricity. I'm probably going to buy into the electricity thing. But, but, but this whole thing where it's like, my phone doesn't matter. I'm just going to be on it all the time. Doesn't matter what, I, like, I'm just not going to buy into that. I'm going to, like, intentionally build my life in such a way where I'm not just buying into everything everyone else does. And my fear for so many young people, and maybe even some of you in this room, is that you've just been swept up in this current of smartphones and you've never put your foot in the ground and said, nope, I'm not going that way. So here's what should happen in your life. There should be moments in your life where you make decisions and it puts you out of the stream of culture. It puts you out of the patterns of this world. Let me put it this way. The world should find your phone habits weird. But like people should look at you and be like, that's a little odd. Why do you do that? Okay, that's weird. It's a phone. Why don't you just buy into it? What are you, some like anti-technology Amish Luddite? Like they'll just throw names at you and your job is just be like, I don't know. Like that's just not how I'm rolling. I don't want to conform to the patterns of this world. Like the world should find your phone patterns weird. You want to have an image of what it looks like to have your phone pattern be weird, to have your phone habit be different than the rest of the world? Here's this image. It came out a few years ago. It was so famous. See the little old lady at the front? That should be you. That should be us. And I'm not saying you never take a picture of a big moment. If you're ever on your phone, you're the worst. I'm just saying like that lady in the photo stands out. The one person not conforming to the pattern of the world is that lady. And that's what I want to be. It's not that I'm never going to use my phone. It's not that I would never want to have it out. It's not that I'm never going to take a photo. It's just I want to be like that person who people look at and there's like something striking about it. Like you noticed her. And the only reason you noticed her is because everyone else was conforming to a pattern. And she did not. Now, I've been saying a few times tonight that, that, I, that I'm, like, I'm aware of my own issues in this and your issues in this, and I'm not telling you not to have a phone. I'm not telling you not to take pictures. I'm not telling you not to use your phone for things. Um, and this is where it gets real tricky. Let's just be honest and chat here. Um, I am not going to stand up here and tell you what your line is. I'm not going to stand up here and draw a line in the sand and be like, anything over three hours a day and you need to repent. And you're like, okay, because here's what I know. Some of you are like, that's easy. But then some of you, like there are people in this room, I know like social media is your job. Like it's your employment, your livelihood. You're like, if I do less than three hours, I don't have a job, I don't eat, I die. You know, like that's kind of how you feel. And so like, I get this. So my job is not to stand up here as a pastor and say, here's the line on the phones because the Bible is not going to describe a line. The Bible's not gonna say, here's the line. But I've said this before, I'll say it again. My concern for you is this question. Like, do you even have a line? Do you have one? Do you have patterns and practices in your life where you're just like, no, this is how I roll on this. It's different. It's different than everyone else. I get that it's different than everyone else. Do you have a line for this season? I'm not saying you have to commit to something for the rest of your life, but to just make a decision that for this time in my life, in my 20s, while I'm still single, while I'm in this summer, when I'm home for summer from college, when, when any of this is happening, here's my line. And so here's what I want to do. I want to suggest to you 10 non-conforming lines to draw. Um, and I don't anticipate anyone in this room doing all 10 of these. In fact, if you did, I think that would be pretty wild and that'd be awesome, but I'm not actually anticipating anyone does that. Because again, my job is not to tell you what the line is, but my job is to suggest that if you have no lines, you might just be conforming to the patterns of this world without even knowing it. So here's 10 non-conforming lines for you to consider with your phone. And again, I want you to think through these. Number one, turn off notifications. Turn them all off. Believe me, you'll still get texts. You'll still get the, uh, all the social media. Everything comes in. Your phone's just not buzzing. It will change your life. 
You will be like, wow, my phone doesn't buzz, but then you'll have the phantom buzzes where you think it's buzzing. It's not actually buzzing, but you'll think it's buzzing. It's this beautiful thing. You turn off notifications on your phone. What happens when you turn off notifications? You're still gonna get text messages. You're still gonna get emails. You're still gonna get all the things. You're just not gonna have that constant buzzing. It'd be like if every piece of mail that came to your house was actually a knock on your door. Like, <laughs> we talked about this last week. Like, you come to the door, you're handed one piece of mail, you're like, thank you. And then you come back and 2,000 times a day that happened, it would drive you crazy. But how does mail actually work? You get it once a day and it's fine. And most of it's nonsense anyway, right? Like, that's how it works. Like, what if you treated your phone that way? You're like, yeah, totally, I'm gonna look at it. But damn, when, I'm at, when I'm at church, when I'm at grandma's house, when I'm at my parents, when I'm hanging out with my roommates, I'm turning notifications off because I don't need that in my life. Number one, turn notifications off. Number two, set screen time limits on apps. Just set a limit. You know what's great about those limits? Usually there's a little password where you can override it, but it puts just enough friction that you're like, what's my password? And you move on because you don't need it. And so if you just know, you just go down the rabbit hole on Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever your thing is that you do, you kids these days, like whatever you do, right? Like, like whatever that thing is that you go down the rabbit hole on, you just feel addicted to, like set a screen time limit. You don't have to say never again, just make a decision. And here's what's crazy. When you set a screen time limit, you usually do it for like an hour a day. And then you think to yourself, do I really want to spend an hour a day of my life for the rest of my life on this app? And then you realize you're already spending two hours a day. You're spending 700 hours a year on this. You know, like you start to think about the hours and you start to go, wait, wait, no, no. I don't want my life to look like that. I don't want to conform to this thing where like everyone's just walking down the road doing this and they're just constantly here. I don't want to do that. So number three, intentionally leave your phone at home. From time to time, I'm not saying like forget your phone at home. Like that happens sometimes and you're forgetful and that's one thing. But you're just like, I'm going to do this. Like I did this the other day at the beach. I took my kids to the beach and I don't like bringing my phone to the beach because it gets sandy or it gets wet or eh, it's a whole mess. So I just left it. It is so freeing to do that. I'm not saying you have to do that all the time, but create a pattern. Maybe you go hiking. Do you know that there's no reason you need your phone hiking? You're like, but what if I get in trouble and need something? I'm like, I don't know. What did people do like 30 years ago and for the rest of human history? Like, like some of it is like, I can't leave my phone at home because what if there's an emergency and someone needs me? How many times has that actually happened to you? And some of you have actually bought into the idea there's gonna be an emergency and someone needs you and therefore you can never leave your phone. And I just think that's an excuse. You've conformed to the patterns of this world. Now listen, if it's like my wife is nine months pregnant, I'm like, I'll leave my phone at home, right? Not a wise idea. So maybe there's a reason. That's why I'm not drawing your line. I'm just saying if you never leave the phone behind and go somewhere for a couple hours, you're missing out and you're conforming to the patterns of this world. Number four, don't put your phone on the table during meetings or meals. Don't do it. I was just in a meeting like literally an hour and a half ago here at Calvary, and all of us had our phones on the table. I was like, why are we doing this? Why is this like normal that we're like, yes, we're in this very important meeting about the future of Calvary, but just in case someone else calls, right? Like, why are we doing that? And so just like catch yourself and I caught myself in the meeting and I slid my phone in the pocket and then it buzzed. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like, you know, but like you actually fight against that, fight against that trend. And maybe you and your friend groups decide like, that's just a no-no. Like when you're hanging out and you're doing lunch or you're doing dinner together, you just phones do not go on the table. And you decide to not conform in this way. Look, look weird. Uh, number five, buy a lockbox for your phone. <laughs> this has been so fruitful. Um, I'm looking back there at Pastor Connor Johnson, middle school pastor here. Him and I have both bought lockboxes for our phone. Here's what the lockbox is. I shared this last week. You put it in, you set a little timer. It like has a magnetic seal. It goes down and you can't get to your phone for hours. I did it for four hours last week. I did it for a five hour stretch today. It's the best thing ever. He's like, well, it's in there. 
and I can't use it, so I better focus on what's in front of me. And if you're a college student who's trying to get homework done, if you're a professional who's trying to get a project done, you going and spending $27 on a lockbox on Amazon might be the greatest thing that ever happened to your career. I really mean that. And I know that's weird. I know it's weird to have a jail for my cell phone, but I'm okay looking weird because I don't want to conform to the patterns of this world. I just don't want that to be my life. Number six, do regular extended social media fasts. Just make decisions. I tend to find like three weeks is like real, real good. A month is real good. You just decide, September, I'm not going to use social media at all. Not just I'm not going to use it, I'm going to delete it, I'm not going to download it. It's just not a thing in my life. Three weeks, a month. If you're like, I'll do it for six hours, that probably doesn't count, okay? Especially if you're sleeping, right? But, 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 but what I, I, just like you set a break and you just say, okay, I'm going to step away from it. But then please, 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 you can like let people know if it's really important that you're leaving, but you don't actually have to announce like, I'm leaving, I'm back. I'm le-. You, know, you don't have to always do that. You can just say like, I'm not doing this. And you step away and it's so freeing because here's what you do. You step away from social media and you realize you've missed nothing, no things. You're so good. Here's what I've realized. I've done social media fast. I've done news fast. And here's what I've just gotten to. People are like, but what if something crazy happens? I'm like, someone will tell me out loud with their voice. It's wild. All right, number seven. (laughs) Sorry, this is where we get off track. All right, number seven. Don't bring your phone into your bedroom. For some of you, You need to decide that your phone goes to bed downstairs and you go upstairs. Your phone doesn't go into your bedroom. For some of you, that's a screen time thing. For some of you, that's a sexual immorality thing. But for some of you, you have to decide, I'm not bringing my phone in there. I go to my bedroom to do one thing and that's sleep. And that's what I'm gonna do in my bedroom. I'm gonna leave it out there. And then people actually have the gall to look at me and be like, Brian, how am I gonna wake up in the morning without an alarm clock? I'm like, it's like $4. These alarm clocks, they're like giving away for free, right? They're like, please take them. Go buy one. It'll save you time. Imagine if you went to bed at night and the last thing you looked at wasn't your phone. You didn't wake up in the morning and look at your phone. You didn't wake up in the middle of the night and look at your phone. Don't take it in your bedroom. Number eight, make certain apps hard to get. Again, if you're addicted to an app, like the best thing for you to do is to put it on like the sixth screen in a folder in the second page, like just bury it, right? Because it just creates enough friction. You're like, I don't want to swipe all the way over, which is the laziest thing in the world, but it's what we do. And I'm just telling you, like you just push it away. Some of you are like, I struggle. I'm on Twitter all the time. And I'm like, it's the number one app on your phone. Of course you're there. It's like built for it. And you have set yourself up for this. Number nine, do a weekly phone Sabbath. I know people who decide Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown, they don't use their phones. And I think that's a beautiful practice. If you're like, I couldn't possibly do 24 hours, do 12, do six, make a pattern, make a practice. Just say, hey, this time during this week, I just don't use my phone. It's a reset. I'm not going to go into it. I know it's strange. I know I may miss out on a small little thing, but it's so good for my soul to not do that. And number 10, if all else fails, get a flip phone. I grew up, my first phone was a flip phone. Raise your hand if your first phone was a flip phone. Okay, okay, there you go, there you go. These were the glory days of phones, right? You used your phone to, get this, this is a strange thing, call people, okay? And you would actually pick up and speak to people because texting meant like you had nine numbers to do it, right? You get a flip phone and you just say, I'm not gonna have a smartphone anymore because you know what, I just need to fast from this. Now, again, my goal tonight is not that you would do all 10 of these things. In fact, I think most of you should probably only do one or two or three, but here's the tragedy. Some of you will do exactly none of these things. You will just continue to float along with a culture that is obsessed and addicted to phones as if digital addiction is not a real thing that is wrecking your mind and changing your relationship with God. And that troubles me. But here's the other thing that troubles me. There are some of you who are sitting here stewing right now, frustrated and angry, 
There are some of you who are a little bit annoyed and certainly disappointed in me as a pastor because this thought is running through your mind. This list doesn't look very spiritual. So some of you heard me just riff on these 10 things and you're going, well, that's not very spiritual. That's not really Jesus-y. That's not really Bible-y. Brian, I want you to preach the word. I don't want you to meddle in my life. And here's what I get. Like I get that there's a part of me that's like looking at this list and going, okay, like someone, some TED talk somewhere could have said this. Is this really a Jesus thing? But here's what I want to point out to you. This is true of your phones. It's true of a lot of things. That actions do not have to look spiritual in order to be fruitful. That actions do not have to look spiritual in order to be fruitful. So if I tell you, I want you to get your money organized. I want you to get on a budget. I want you to pull your financial life together and stop being reckless with money. That might not sound very spiritual, but here's what Jesus says, where your money is, that's where your heart's going, right? So it doesn't have to look spiritual in order to be spiritual. Or like I tell you all the time, I get up with my kids in the morning. I make them pancakes and bacon and breakfast. And it's this whole situation. Like my wife sleeps in. I hang out with the kids. I'm all in as a dad. That doesn't look spiritual at all, okay? It just looks messy. That's all it looks. And yet I just believe that's one of the most spiritual things I do every morning. Because the Bible commands me to be the type of dad who loves my children. And so I'm going to do that. And that doesn't look spiritual to anyone, but I promise you it's fruitful. And so things do not have to look spiritual to be fruitful. And here's what you need to know. If your phone is a problem, if your phone is absorbing your attention, you will bring glory to what you pay attention to. That's why this is spiritual. Because if you're constantly paying attention to this, you are bringing glory to this. And if you are constantly throwing this to the ground and saying, I'm going to set my attention and affection on God and what he's doing in this world through people, you will bring glory to God. It will become a spiritual discipline in your life. Here's how it closes in verse 2. Um, and I'll actually invite the band back up and they'll, they can start uh, getting ready for their awesome, uh, set of songs. It says this in verse two. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So just to track through what we've seen tonight, when we see God's mercy clearly, that he is the God who loves us and is for us and died for us and forgave us our sins, then we offer ourselves wholly to God. And when we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed, like we think different, we approach the world different, It says in verse two, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, once you actually start living out these disciplines and setting your affection and attention on God, once you start saying this phone will not dominate my life, God will dominate my life. Here's the beautiful thing. You'll start to figure out what God actually wants from your life. You'll start to figure out what God wants from your life. And for some of you, you have no idea what God actually wants for your life. And the problem for so many of us is that we're aimless in life And here's the question I want to ask you. Like, what if your attention to your phone is actually robbing you of the adventure God has for you? What if God has this wonderful and beautiful plan for your life, but you're not actually noticing it because you're so addicted to this thing? What if God wants to move in your heart and whisper to your spirit, but he can never whisper to your spirit because you've always got your AirPods in? What if God can never actually move in your heart through the people here at this church because every time you're alone, you go to your phone and you kind of seclude yourself? What if God wants to move in your life in a powerful kind of way and do something remarkable for your life and you miss it because you're so addicted to this thing? See, that's why it's spiritual. But the whole point for us isn't just that we would not have our phones or like we're kind of anti-technology. It's not that at all. It's that there's so much better that God has for you. Like God's will for you is not just to be this all the time. Like, let this be a helpful tool, but may it never become your God. So here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I'm going to add a little bit to the sainted C.S. Lewis, so please forgive me. He says these words in the weight of glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with sex and drink and ambition and our iPhones. He he didn't say that. Uh, 
when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing, making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says this, we are far too easily pleased. And my concern for so many of you is you are far too easily pleased. Uh, like you're far too easily pleased by this device and all the little trinkets and all the little dopamine hits it gives you, all the little games, all the little buzzes, all the little technology, all the little text messages that come in. Like we're so pleased with this thing that we're missing out on this beautiful and wonderful thing that God has for us called life. The adventure he has for us, the calling he's put on your life. Like I just believe the God of the universe has put a call on your life a unique call to use your spiritual gifts and talents and passions and resources to bless the world and bring people to Christ. And for some of you, you'll miss that because you're so addicted to this thing. See, I told you this before, it's years ago. Uh, I did one of these Daniel fasts for the first time. And I'll never forget what happened at the end of it. I, I kind of went 10 days with like no uh, processed foods at all. So I did no meat, no sugar, no nothing. It was just like vegetables and stuff that came out of the ground. It was like, wow, like I am really addicted to processed foods. 10 days later, I'm done with the thing. On the 11th day, I get up in the morning and I go over to my counter. And at the time, you can judge me for this if you must, but I had a Keurig on the counter, okay? And so I turn on the Keurig and I pop the little pot in, I put the thing down and the coffee comes out and I go to take a swig of my coffee and I have to spit it out because it tastes disgusting. And I think there must've been something wrong with that pod. So I put another pot in and I get another cup of coffee and it's still disgusting because here's what happened. Over 10 days, what had happened to my taste buds is that they had been resensitized to actual taste. I've had so much processed food, so much sugar, so much gnarly stuff in my mouth that my taste buds just stopped tasting. And so what occurred to me is that it wasn't that the Keurig I was trying was bad, it's that Keurig was always bad. And in that moment, I was finally recognizing it because I could finally taste what it actually was. So, see, this is what it means for us to be serious about pulling back from our phones. So you see, tonight we've been talking about what it means to kind of detox digitally, to step away from this. And I want you to know this, that the purpose of the digital detox is to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. He has something for you. He's better than your phone. So we're not anti-phone. We're not throw your phone away. We're not hate your phone or beat yourself up. But we are here to say, when you step away from the distractions of this world, you will find that God was always there in the first place. He was always good in the first place. You can taste and see that he is good. You can experience his presence in your life. And you can know that the God of the universe is here in mercy, here in power, and he has a plan for your life. So here's the invitation tonight. What are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do with your phone? What are you gonna do with the fact that this thing is constantly demanding your attention? Because the attention of your life will ultimately lead to your affection and you will bring glory to what you pay attention to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. And God, I'm just gonna pray even with this phone in my hand right now. I just wanna pray that this would never in any way be something that I just turn to more than you, that I'd say so much attention to that I miss out on what you're doing in my life and in this world. God, this is hard and we need your wisdom. And so just like last week, we're just gonna ask that you give it to us generously without finding fault. Help us figure out how to use our phones, how to honor you, how to be a good friend and roommate and neighbor and son and daughter and sister and brother. God, help us to love our family and friends well. Help us to be present with people. And most of all, help us to be attuned to your presence in our life. God, help us taste and see that you are good. We pray this in Christ's name, the resurrected one and all God's people said.